Or I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. see, see. It, it looks something like this. Hello and welcome to the Football Media Podcast. I'm your host John McKenzie and I'm joined by Matt Murphy, football journalist who often contributes to the independence coverage of the Championship. Matt, this week you spoke to Alistair Bruce Ball, the football commentator and presenter for the BBC. How did that come about? So Ali is a very lovely person and I contacted him and asked him if he wanted to chat to us and show us behind the scenes of the world of uh, radio football commentary and uh, what it's like to work for the BBC, uh, what it's like to commentate on a match of the day, uh, match, um, etc. And it was brilliant. So what sort of things did you discuss? So we spoke about um, the difference between actual TV and radio football commentary, um, what it's like. He's He's been at the BBC for almost 20 years now. Um, and you know, what, what it was like to get into the business, um, what it's like to work for the BBC. Um, you know, it's such a small world at the BBC, um, working for, uh, what he does now. It's so hard to get into those positions. And he was saying that if you wanted to be, you know, a, a, a BBC commentator, it's, it's harder than ever, but there are actually more opportunities now, um, in terms of diverse, um, avenues you can do, you can go down if you wanted to do football commentary. You know that there's so much on YouTube and and um, and on on social media that that is actually available to people. So it's it's changed because before it used to maybe twenty thirty years ago it was just the BBC and you could only be at the BBC. But now it's um, even though it is technically harder um, because of the competition. At the same time, there are more opportunities for people. Uh, we also spoke about. Uh, Oh, this is really good. So he works a lot with Chris Sutton and uh, Chris Sutton is great. I actually really like Chris Sutton. I know people hate him, but I think he's he's brilliant because he's he's very funny, he's very sharp and the the repartee between these two is 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 great. But but what makes a good football pundit and what makes a bad football pundit? And because uh, he's worked with so many um, ex pros, so that and um, and the saturation of of of, of stats used in in matches as well, among many other things. What would you say was the most surprising thing that you learned then? What is it about commentating and and working as a presenter that really surprised you? I had to think about what the most surprising thing was, but I was surprised he brought binoculars to the game. He he brings binoculars to every single uh, match he goes to, and he uh, something that interested me, something that didn't didn't think would be such an issue. Um, I have done football commentary myself, but only at a really really ridiculously low level, like community. Um, oh no, not community level, but community radio level um, on Weymouth a few years ago, in fact, and. I, it brought me back to when I was doing that and uh, he was saying how, you know, a real bugbear for him can be when players look too alike and you can't see their number. And on the field, for example, uh, if uh, if a few players from Arsenal um, had the same hair colour, the same colour boots, nothing distinct about them, he would have to try and look in the, in the warm-up to actually distinguish. That's actually something that probably surprised me the most is that football commentators will sometimes use the warm-up 
to distinguish players rather than just prepare for the game, whereas the majority of their preparation is done is done well in advance. Yeah, that is really interesting. So much of actually watching football is about recognising things like even like body shape and gait and running style and things like that. That was something that I enjoyed listening to as well from your chat. So without further ado... We move on to your conversation with Alistair Bruce Ball, the BBC commentator and presenter. So, Ali, thanks for joining me. For people who who may have heard your name but not actually uh, know a bit more about you, obviously a presenter, commentator, and reporter sometimes for Five Live as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, how many years have you been at Five Live? I joined Five Live in 2001, so it's coming up almost 20 years. I initially joined as um, a sports reporter. I went into the newsroom. I was reading bulletins. I used to read bulletins on Radio 2, Radio 1, um, you know, just go out and interview people, put packages together, that kind of thing. L- long-term aim was always to try and be a football commentator, which is what I'd done in local radio. But obviously, when you start at Five Live, football's not necessarily the most sensible sport to choose to try and get on the team it's it's quite a, a small team and once people are on the team I mean if you look at the the guys and, and and girls who do the commentary once they've got the jobs they don't leave the jobs because the jobs are brilliant you know I mean what is not to like about going to Premier League football Champions League football any football and commentating on it so um yeah it took me a few years to get onto the football team and I got that job in 2004 and then the presenting actually the final bits kind of come much later and and certainly the 606 thing came off the back of going to Russia with Chris Sutton we spent a month together there had a great laugh got on really well I think I think Chris had already been lined up to do 606 and I'm not sure they really knew who was you know who was going to do it with them and I think just because we we hit it off we've we've carried on doing off the back of it and it's it's good fun and um is 606 what you think people would probably know you for most now it's weird because Yes, is is the answer to that question because it, it's it's given me a, a profile that I probably previously didn't have, despite being a very experienced commentator on Five Live and not just in football, in other sports as well. But I think six oh six is so you know it's 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 such a big part of the schedules for Five Live and its football coverage, and now doing the Saturday night as well. You know, right front and central after all the 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 football um, on the Saturday afternoon. I mean, j- just a comedy example of that. And and Chris has been giving me grief about it for the last couple of weeks. I got an invite to play in a pro am golf day. Uh, at Wentworth the other day. Now that that is alongside people who really do have a, a big media profile. But, I mean, you had England cricket captains there. You know, I certainly, I think I signed one autograph in the day, and I, and I came home and my my wife actually said to me, "Who was the celebrity in your group?" So I'm very glad that she doesn't see me as one. I certainly, <laughs> I certainly don't see myself as one. But I think just getting that invitation, just I don't know, I do, I do feel that slightly by doing six oh six and sort of um, forming this partnership with Chris initially in Russia and now, it probably has it probably has lifted my profile profile a little bit and actually if that means that people um listen to the commentaries a little bit more as well or or come to five live for that as well as 606 then that's that's great do you think it's harder now than it may have been back when you started out commentating for local stations to actually get into football commentary because i think there are so that i remember when i was a bit younger there what there didn't seem the same kind of um young reporters young commentator of the year those kind of open opportunities mm. but i but i feel like a little further back if if you did kind of um push in the right direction there seemed to be more um 
more of a a direct route towards doing that if you know what i mean i think there's i think nowadays it seems to me that there are more avenues to explore football commentary or sports commentary but not necessarily on bbc radio 5 live so actually that team the team i'm on now has only ever got smaller really i mean if you think now of of the voices you hear regularly on 5 live commentating on football john murray Ian Dennis, Alan Green, Connor McNamara, me, and then, uh, you know, Vicky Sparks, um, Robin Cowan. Um, but it's, it's, it's probably less than double figures that you would hear regularly and then other commentators that will, that will appear now and again. Although saying that, there are so many different stations now covering football that if, if you were a, a young up-and-coming commentator, there are certainly other avenues to explore. I always love listening to to football on the radio and so that was always my target but I mean you know I, I speak to young commentators now getting into the business who will be doing commentaries on on Liga, on on MLS on I mean the the thing that I wouldn't enjoy so much about that is a lot of that is done in a studio off a of television my, my my great joy of the job remains being in the stadiums being on the fairways at the Masters or the Open Championship or the Ryder Cup and actually experiencing the event for itself. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not as fun. It's, I have to say, it's, it's just not as fun. And it wouldn't be sitting in a studio doing it off a telly, even if you're doing amazing games. But um, I, w- I wouldn't discourage anyone from going into it because I still think there are opportunities and I still think you've got to back yourself and your talent. But yeah, I, I think it probably is harder, actually. It is harder, Pro- probably to get on the mainstream media as a as a football commentator. I know you obviously can go off what your own experience is in, in that respect, and, and you only know it from going to the places to uh, to to do commentaries. But do you feel like there is a, a concern that the industry is going towards that direction where there will be more commentators doing things looking at TV screens? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's heading that way. I mean, that's partly because just because of all the football that is covered now, if we're talking football specifically... You, you couldn't do it. I mean, you, you just you couldn't go there and cover it all. And it's very easy to do. You get a feed into a building. And, you, and, you, and the thing is, you can still provide an excellent service. I mean, the, the, the commentators and, and summarizers are of, are of such good quality that they can still be watching pictures and, and give you an, an excellent commentary. And I think if you've got a trained ear, you can probably listen and think, no, I can tell I can tell they're not there, whether it's that the sound effects aren't quite right or you just don't feel that they're in the stadium. The one thing I do think is that a radio commentary specifically so, um, for example, in Russia, just because of the vast distances we had to cover, some of our World Cup commentaries were were done off tube. I, I did one with Philip Neville. We did um, Serbia against Switzerland, which actually turned out to be a really exciting game. And but we were sitting in a in a enclosed room like you and I are now, and I thought, God, this is going to be hard to like drum up the atmosphere. But but we did, and I and I think we did it. We did a pretty good job. But I, I still think. To be an effective, top-quality radio commentary, you need to be in the stadium because you need 360-degree vision because the whole point of radio is putting someone in the stadium with you. And if you're sitting in a studio, you can't really do that. You're utterly reliant on what the cameras are showing you. So you can't pick out that that crazy fan who's got his top off or the banner in the top row or, you know, a flock of birds going over the stadium, which, which are... Which are the, are the little bits that actually make make the radio commentary special i think yeah that's definitely my favorite part of of listening to commentary on the radios because you don't need to do that on the tv you don't because you're literally you've got a, a visual aspect to it whereas when i'm listening to football commentary on the radio you like when commentators can say and this is happening yeah there's there's a brilliant sunset in the background etc and i actually funny enough and i've not done much tv commentary i've done a little bit i actually find the skill of tv commentary harder for that very reason i think i think probably because i've done a lot of radio and i'm used 
used to it. But obviously TV is, is an economy of language, you know, not describing what people can already see and picking your moment and absolutely nailing the big moments as well. Particularly if you're doing a match of the day game, you know that 90% of what you say while you're at the ground will not get used because it'll get packaged down to three minutes. And if you don't nail those big three minutes, then you're not doing a great job. Whereas radio is kind of a lot... I, <laughs> Radio's you're sitting with a summariser for a start. That's what I love about radio commentary. So it's a conversation between you and whoever you're with. And then if something contentious happens, you don't have to ask a rhetorical question. You can ask a direct question to someone next to you who's played the game. Whereas if you're doing a match of the day commentary, you're on your own and you're kind of projecting to the audience and then the panel will, will discuss it afterwards. Um, but... But no, so I, I, I actually find television commentary harder, although I think I think some people will say, wow, but, you know, with radio, you've got to keep talking, you've got to keep thinking. But actually, it is, it is you're, you, are, you are just saying what you see, and then, and then you've got to try and sort of describe it as concisely and poetically as possible, I guess. The thing is, as well, and I was going to ask about, about Match of the Day commentaries, have you, have you done many Match of the Day commentaries? Ten, maybe? Ten. Yeah. And because one thing I always get whenever I'm watching Match of the Day with my dad or someone like <laughs> that, I always get the same question of, do they do these live? They do these as yeah. they're doing them. That's yeah. they always, they're always done live. Absolutely, aren't they? absolutely yeah. done live. So you so you commentate as if you were commentating live on the game. So it kicks off, the whistle blows, and you do ninety minutes of talking. Um, th- there are certain spells in the game where, in a radio commentary, you would keep talking. So if it's gone behind for a goal kick, obviously on a radio you can't you can't leave dead air. Match the day because they're never going to use that. You you could stop for two minutes. You can take a sip of tea. You can have a chat to the floor manager. You know whatever. But but you ha- yeah you have to commentate on it because any single moment of it on match of the day could get used. But you do know, you do get a sense when a certain move is building up. I think in the back of your head, you're thinking, if this ends up in a goal, you know, this is going to need a big finish and, and whatever. And I think occasionally, I mean, I, I, I would only speak for myself here because I, I don't know about the other match of the day commentators who've done it a lot more than me. But sometimes if I feel I've wasted a good line on a clip that might not get used, I would run the line again and then it's kind of down to the editing team, you know, hopefully to spot that you've used it twice so it wouldn't get put in the same edit. But if you enjoyed the line that you used, you kind of wanted to get it on the on the show. So. Yeah, I do notice that sometimes some commentators, you can tell, have this line that they're waiting to yeah. use. It's like the same kind of thing where when Usain Bolt crossed the finish line for um, and broke the world record yeah. Uh, for 100 metres a second time they someone just was ready with the line of they say lightning doesn't strike twice and it was just like ready with that kind of thing it's that kind of yeah. line isn't it although I, I learned a real big lesson on that in London 2012 doing the Olympics and I commentated on various sports there one of them was the slalom canoeing mm. where a British I think British pairs won gold and silver but I turned up on that day not really expecting that and so the commentary came out at, at, at the winning moment just came out as totally natural I'd not thought at all about what I was going to say because I didn't foresee it. And I listened back to that and you think, gosh, that was just reacting on the moment. And probably, you know, I probably could have expressed myself better, but it it, it was live. That was kind of raw and, and real. I went and did the triathlon uh, commentary probably a week later when Alistair Brownlee, who was the big favourite to win, won. And I had thought of things I wanted to say if he was coming down the home straight on his own because you're thinking that's quite a lot of talking to do. I need a line. I listened back to that. And I think, God, that was flat. That was so flat because you prepared it and it wasn't, you weren't actually looking at what was going on or reacting. And then luckily, as I was sort of halfway through whatever I prepared, he picked up a Union Jack, draped himself in it. And I went back into that mode of describing what I was actually seeing. It was a, it was a huge lesson that. So I, I always think it's a good idea to have, you know, if so-and-so is going to 
to score a landmark goal. Just have an idea in your head of what what you might want to say. But I, I would never write it down word for word and try and bring out a prepared line because I, I would stumble over it, I think. Do you think doing commentaries on other sports has helped you with football commentary? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because, um, I mean, golf, I, I, I love doing the golf pace, tone, everything you describe is, is so different. It's so different, but it really s- kind of stretches your, um, your range, your vocabulary. Um, the people you work with, uh, experiences they've had, I, I, I think definitely um, it, it, it all adds into the, into the melting pot. And yeah, I think, I think sometimes you will take things from other sports. And so, you know, take something you've, you've done at a Ryder Cup or whatever and, and take it into your football thinking, well, that, that went well there, that kind of technique I used there. Well, I, I can't think of a specific example, but, but I, def- I definitely enjoy the variety. And actually, I, I enjoy the variety as well because it does just give you a little break from football. I would say football is 80% of what I do. But in the summer, when, when I do the golf or do the Olympics, it, it brings you back so fresh for the football, which, which I, I really like. I, I do like doing the other sports as well, yeah. Yeah. And um, in terms of a football commentary specifically, now I've seen Conor McNamara has done a few of these kind of um, what it's like behind the scenes for a football commentator. He's done them for BBC Sport and on, on YouTube and on his Twitter and things like that. Um, does every is your is your preparation similar to his? Because he has the whole he has like a sticker book yeah. of of, of um, players' faces, yeah. and he'll line he'll bring them all to the game of the entire yeah. he brings, squad and like yeah, sticks so, them down. So exactly, so he's got these little kind of freezer labels, and and he's and he's worked it such on his laptop that when the team comes out, he will print the lot out and then stick them in position, faces, stats, and whatever. Which yeah, which which is a work of art. It's brilliant. My, mine is similar. I don't use the faces, although I guess what I do to try and sort of replicate that is I will always take a pair of binoculars to a game with me not not so much Premier League because you're going to recognize most of them but even um I did Northern Ireland Germany a few weeks ago and just the German team because you don't see them regularly and and while they're warming up just looking at hairstyles boot colors anything that's just going to give you a little a little clue um you know where they're going to line up but particularly Germany their kind of front three rotate so much if they score in the first five minutes you you need a kind of identifier I mean shirt numbers can obviously help you but you're not always going to see that uh but but my notes would be similar i mean it would probably take me about a a day so i'm doing manchester united arsenal as my next commentary and i was doing the notes for that yesterday and i would say it it takes me to do player notes they're kind of two separate things i have sort of squad notes on one side of a sheet of a4 so manchester united down half of it arsenal down the other and then on the other side i have sort of match notes so you know what the clubs have been doing this season solskjaer's current record home form away form and then i will have that book in front of me during the commentary although in a radio commentary I, I really wouldn't look at that very much because you, you can't really afford to take your eyes off off the pitch too much do you find that with those stats and things like that they are things that you've you've taken time to find that you'll you'll use them at a moment where things run dry or will you wait to try and find a moment to try and get that in because you've you, because it's an interesting stat yeah. or will it just come in as and when yeah I, I have a bit of a, a bugbear about stats because I, I love them when they are appropriate and relevant. So, I, you know, if, if they're cleverly used and correctly used, I think they're brilliant to, to illustrate a commentary. And particularly a radio commentary, because a radio commentary really is more about what you can see, the colour, the noise, the atmosphere, the action. But you do get those breaks in play where if something happens and you can just slide the, the stat in and it illustrates exactly what you're saying, or your summariser might say something, make a point, and you then have the stat to back it up. I think when I first started, because I'd worked so hard on the prep, you'd rattle them 
out because you think these the work's going to get wasted if I don't do it. That work never gets wasted because you might use it in six months' time. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm guilty of it still. I think sometimes you listen to a comment and you think, you know, someone wanted to get that stat out. They've worked hard on that one. They like it. It's not necessarily fitted in there, but they're quite proud of it. Whereas I, I love the ones that just sort of, that drift in, that illustrate a point and almost seem to come as part of the conversation, but actually it's taken a bit of work to get there. Plus, plus the fact that I a lot of the stats are everyone's got the same thing because they come from notes that are prepared for us before the game. And actually the ones I enjoy more is where you're sort of the day before a game thinking, I don't know, something like, I mean, talking the Manchester United Arsenal thing, just just Solskjaer's record against Arsenal or, or something like that, or something slightly different that may not have been thought of. That that one might have, but th- those are the ones I, I really like. That's the thing these days, coming up with with a fact that in football that no one else has heard of is so hard oh. because you've got things like Opta Joe, you've got Squawker, you've got so many other places there that are literally f- yeah, tweeting out their all their stats. But I also think that has actually enriched uh, football commentaries and shows like 606 because what I love is when you know on 606 for an example when we put it out to the listeners on 85058 some of the tweets and messages that come back are genius you know they're witty they're clever they're funny they're things that we've not thought of because we're live on air and we're thinking about a million other things and they can get a whole thread of a program going so someone makes one point and suddenly you've got half an hour of radio off the back of that one point same thing in a commentary our producers who will sit with us at a game might pass their phone three times in a half and show you an Opta Joe line that, that pops up and then you can bring it into commentary. Now, I feel if you do that, you've got to credit them. You can't just sort of suddenly go, oh, look what look what I know because you obviously haven't got it. But I, I think that all adds, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's a good thing. The whole factor file of notes, like for example, I, I remember when uh, the BBC commentators went out for Russia last, last year, I, I was hearing um, rumours about the, the size of the, the factor Bible. file, a Bible <laughs> of, the Bible, the Bible, Bible of, yeah. of, or just the general BBC Sport Bible that people were going out there with. Yeah. Now, just like those kind of things, the amount of time for, as a football commentator, not, for example, Russia, but say um, back in the day before you could rely on places like Opta Joe, mm. where would you go to, to, to create a Bible like that? Wow. What, would you, what would you rely well, on? Well, do you know what? I mean, it's it's for modern commentators, I think it's a little bit of a shame because if you do go back to the days of, you know, Barry Davis and John Motts and the guys I, I grew up listening to on, on BBC television or, or, you know, Brian Butler or Peter Jones on the radio, you, you just have to go and get it yourself, you know, and, and you'd, you'd use your, your Rothman's yearbook or, or, you know, whatever it was, but you'd go to training grounds and you'd speak to people and you'd speak. And now because it's there, I guess, A, that access to the players and the club's has diminished so it's, it's actually harder to get that sort of face-to-face contact and have a chat I think you can still do it now and again but b because it's at our fingertips because we just have to go to you know whatever website it is i guess i guess we've got a little bit lazy with it as well and actually some of the best stuff you ever get for a commentary i, I always remember one of the um one of my bosses when i first started out at bbc uh, talking about steve wilson who's you know one of the match of the day commentators and saying you what you watch steve on a match day and he'll be you know we're allowed to go down if you're working for for radio and television into the tunnel to get the teams sort of an hour and 15 minutes before kickoff but Steve would always go down a little bit earlier and you're just down there to chat to people just to say hello could be kit man could be cameraman could be anyone but the little nuggets of either colour just something you see that you can bring into a commentary or you know just just speaking to people and little bits of information you can get you know rather than turning up at a ground 
going to the press room, sitting down, having a cup of tea, burying your head in your notes. And then, you know, you, you'll, you'll do fine with that. That's fine because you'll be well prepared and whatever. But actually, you know, that, that art of just speaking to people and, and gaining information, that, it's just an old school bit of journalism, isn't it? But I, I think we probably do it less now. That's, that's great, though. They're kind of things you'll pick up now and then to, to say on air. Um, wh- one thing that always interests me is things like the difference between a commentator like, say, John Murray, mm. who will say it as it is, or, mm. or like yourself, who will say it as it is. But I, I don't know, sometimes more Alan Green is the type of person who will bring their opinion quite heavily into into what they're doing they, they'll they'll say that's terrible that's yeah. awful they'll, they'll use different language than 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 other commentators do you think um where would where would you kind of put yourself i would draw a distinction between if i was at a game reporting and i was on my own um and i i wouldn't i didn't have a chris sutton with me or pat nevin or whoever it was i would go more opinionated there. So if there was a controversial incident, I, I think I've been doing it long enough and I think the audience would know me well enough that a bit of opinion there is is absolutely fine. You know, that's what they want, actually. Was it a penalty? Wasn't it a penalty? Give us your thoughts. You could be wrong. You can have that argument with whoever's presenting, Mark Chapman, whoever. I think if I'm in a commentary, I probably leave that more to whoever I'm sitting with because otherwise you're taking stuff away from them. Now, actually, what I really enjoy, you know, enjoyed in Russia with Chris is he will have his opinions and stick to his opinions and they can be very strong opinions but he will also ask you your opinion because he does like a a conversation a debate a row or whatever and so you know if if we were in a commentary and something happened and you you have that debate between you but i first and foremost i would let him go you know with what he thinks and then possibly if i thought either he was wrong or a bit strong or whatever maybe try and try and balance it but um i I think you've just got to do with do what you are comfortable with i think i think really you've got to kind of find your voice and be yourself and I, i you know that's the thing about listening to other commentators and trying to learn from alan green and john murray and connor and you know everyone is you you can't copy people you 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 can try and sort of nick the best bits of what they do and do it in your own style but if you try and copy people and decide right i'm going to be opinionated or it's it's never going to work it's just going to it's not going to sound right what's it like working with uh, with someone like chris um because uh, chris sutton because obviously he is um I think he, he is an excellent pundit because he offers um, such insight, but also he gives, especially with, with you, you two have such an excellent repartee because you manage to play off each other and he keeps you on your toes all the time. Yeah. You can never, you can never, uh, I mean, not like you would anyway, but you can never relax in, in too much in, in a role on 606. I, I think the thing with, I think the thing with Chris is, even though, you know, he kind of plays the role of Mr. Grumpy and can be a bit curmudgeonly, <laughs> he, it's entertaining. It's fun. You're right. He keeps you on your toes and he does see the lighter side of it and he can laugh at himself. And actually, I think particularly with 606, more than a football commentary, I think we're both very aware that people are in their cars on a Saturday and yes, they want to hear football debate and what football fans think of their teams, but also it's it's entertainment. People want a laugh as well, you know, and so I think we're quite conscious of that element. Um, the, the other thing I would say about him, and I hope he doesn't listen to this because his, you know, his head will swell enormously. Chris is very sharp. He's very bright. And, you know, you only have to listen to 606 to, to realise that, that, you know, strong opinions, yes, and uh, unapologetic at times as well. You know, he won't always say what what he thinks people want to hear, which is what makes him such a good pundit. But if you come back at him with an argument, you better be ready because he'll listen to you and he'll and he'll and he'll he'll have thought it through and he'll be able to argue it back. And, I, you know, he's he's just very, very sharp. I think I think, you know, he's. He's excellent. What makes a, a good pundit to work with? Because you must have worked with so many different former footballers and current footballers um, and, and others sat next to you. What makes, what makes a good pundit? What makes a bad one? 
Um, you have very different – I mean, not all of them can be the same. You want a variety, don't you, I think? So, you know, listening to Chris is very different to listening to Dion Dublin is very dis- different to listening to Pat Nevin is very different to listening to Chris Waddle. Um, so, again, th- they have to be themselves. I think, obviously, all of them have played the game and I think what I always want as a listener and what we always try as a commentator to get out of them is insight. You know, what is that like out there when you've missed that sitter and your teammates say whatever to you? What What is that like? Just just tell us something that, you know, any commentary, I think, from the summariser, you want to learn two or three things from them that you've never heard or, or a different way of looking at something. I mean, I think Pat Nevin's a, a brilliant example of that. He's always got a slightly different take on, you know, I remember last season when Kepper, that incident, the League Cup final, and I think the majority of opinion was, well, Kepper's, you know, got that all wrong and he's lost the plot and he's let his manager down. And, and Pat came at it from a completely different angle, um, partly because I think Pat enjoys the debate, but also because I think he just he just saw it differently. Um, so I would say that, so insight, and I would I would say prep as well you know a good pundit is is well prepped as um has 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 done the work and and you and you can see that you know when they arrive again book of it doesn't have to be notes like ours it doesn't have to be reams and reams of notes but it needs to be you know i have had a look at these two teams and I've had to think about what they might do today and you know maybe five or six talking points that I want to bring up in the game I don't I don't I don't think nowadays you can you can get away with rocking up and and not doing not doing the homework because again if, you, if you're going to be on you know um five live sport on a Monday night whatever night with Mark Chapman or, or Kelly Cates they're they're going to ask you some some good questions, some searching questions, and you need to be you need to be ready. That's the thing. Often, I find as uh, probably probably more so Mark Chapman than most. He loves to put people on the spot and ask them a really <laughs> difficult question and really specific, and it often leaves people smiling because yeah. they know that he's, he's got that. But with he, them. but also, I mean, I you know the Monday Night Club is is a fantastic listen, I think. And what what I always think, and what I, again, it's it's trying to pick the best bits of other people's work. What what I always think with Mark is quite often on six oh six, my follow up question can be quite an obvious one it's it's you know just you've got to, you've got to listen obviously and listen to what they're saying but i always think mark is either he's reacting on the spot very cleverly or he's thought about a, a, an avenue he wants to take an interview down and i just think original questions you know that that's where he is he is so strong and, and so good and those occasionally well not occasionally more often than not will then elicit an unusual response and then again it gives you a you know a, a, a road to travel down that's um that's that's usually the thing trying to find something else to talk about on those kind of shows is always is always, that's what makes them interesting they find a different a different avenue for it um there was actually i, I won't mention the, the name of, of, of this particular person but i remember listening to a commentary you did um a while back it was two or three years ago maybe, actually maybe four or five years ago but um it was it, it had a pun a pundit with you yeah that was just talking over you every now and then, and do you do you often get that with with certain pundits that um, that sometimes you just you look down and you see your fixture list of, of the teams that you're going to go and commentate on, and you yeah. go, God, I've got that pundit. Again. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, genuinely, you know, gen- genuinely, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, sometimes I see. I think I do, you do want it to be a conversation. I do think you want it to be. You don't just want it to be a b a b a b. You know, like that. I think that mm. would become very routine. Um, at the same time, I mean, there's always this big debate as well about kind of the big moment in a game. So that whole thing of, I mean, the the classic commentary example I would think of would be Ian Robertson's um, commentary on England winning the World Cup in 2003, when as he describes that moment of Johnny Wilkinson dropping the goal, Rob Andrew just screams all over the top of his commentary. 
um, which I loved at the time because that was Rob Andrew, who had played for England, who, you know, kind of mentored Johnny Wilkinson, played in the same position, just basically expressing what we all felt that, you know, he had done it, England had done it and, and whatever. Now, you wouldn't want that. in every, I mean, the, the sort of the rule in inverted commas in commentary is that that moment is the commentator's moment. Wait until they finish giving you the score, giving you the last line, and then the then the, the summariser jumps in. But actually, you know, rules are always there to be to be broken. And a moment like that, I don't mind it at all. I think I think I think if it was constant throughout a commentary and you're just constantly talking over each other, then that must get a bit grating. I, I can't actually think of the uh, I can't think of the game or, or whoever you're talking about there, but. Um, I, I, I don't mind that. I don't mind that so much. And I, I always say to the summarizers as well, if I've said something you don't agree with or, you know, you want to say something, do come in and jump in. I think the summarizer, though, also always has to realize when the ball is near each penalty area and a goal might be about to be scored, you do have to leave it to the commentator then because you don't you don't want to miss something while you two are having a, a row. Yeah, it's you almost have to be partners in a way you have yeah. to help each other out i f- often find when i'm um watching on yourself on on 606 or um listening to some of the commentaries that you do especially with people like chris not to bring him up and big him up again mm. but um you often get those moments where you need to add a different voice to it you need to kind of just um add a different perspective and and people like chris and others do that yeah. they add they they don't they're not just there to fill the time so you don't have to talk all, all, all of uh, yeah. the 90 minutes and, and again i think it's that it's that formula thing isn't it you don't just want caller being a presenter me being b and chris being c you don't just want it to go a b c chris with caller you you want it to be all three of you having a conversation funny enough i will always listen back to the show and occasionally i will think uh, probably more than occasionally there's too much of me in there actually you know people want to know chris's opinions they want to talk to chris and sometimes and again you know you listen to a monday night club with mark chapman times he won't speak for 15 minutes he'll just let the, the panel get on with it um and you know i think you do have to be quite critical of your of yourself and and your own stuff in in that regard to um to try and improve it um so yeah yeah do you ever feel like there's a threat to to radio and specifically sport commentaries because i think uh i i hope that it that will forever be there Mm. but you do see more and more people uh, listen less and less to radio in the car these days. They listen to Spotify, their phones, things like yeah. that. You you do get less of um, of that tuning in. And the only, well, I said the only real reason um, that they do it is if someone's a sports fan and they just happen to be on the road, but most times people aren't. Do you, yeah. do you ever worry about that? I think so. I mean, I think definitely people are obviously consuming their 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 sport their news in 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 so many different ways and i think particularly just you know the the old-fashioned thing of turning like i still do well it's a digital radio it's not like a a medium wave radio but turning it on in the kitchen while you're cooking and listening to people are are doing that less and less um but i i I mean yeah because because i work in it and love doing it i would i would really hope there there is always a place because personally i would you know, if if I'm in the car on a midweek night, that that is that is what I want to listen to. That is what I will listen to, and I absolutely love. And I I do think sport on the radio as well. I mean, sport on television now is amazing. The coverage of it is incredible. You know, and the 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 quality of picture and the quality of commentary, and whatever, and the access that they get is incredible. But I do still think there is something about um, a goal being scored on the radio that you can't see, or a or a puck going in, or or whatever, that actually improves it by not being able to see it if the, if the commentary is is good enough and so I, I i think it is a fight i think it is a fight to 
to keep it there and um, the direction of travel is not necessarily in in radio's favor but personally i would argue you know i i, I would be devastated if if we didn't have that and not not just because i work in it as a listener that I, that would make and actually for my kids as well my my seven-year-old rory is, has just got into his football and he you know he consumes a lot on you know he'll watch his match of the day but he'll go onto the onto the ipad and go onto youtube and find some champions league highlights or whatever but equally i do like him to listen to a bit of radio because that's that's what i grew up with and i I think I think there's a I think there's a place for both. Um, in terms of working for the BBC, and you'll often get on social media, no matter who you are, um, you will always get this idea of. I, I think, regardless of actually working for the BBC, working in football in general, you'll get you're so biased towards <laughs> this, you're so biased towards that. Do you do you often get? That, I mean, it's just part of the yeah. course, isn't it? Well, the funny thing with that is when I first went onto Twitter, whenever it was, probably 10 years ago, um, I'd not really explored it properly. And I was away on a cricket tour covering England with Simon Mann, who works on the Test Match Special Team. And I said to him, so I'm honestly, I must be the most boring man on Twitter. I've never had a response to anything I've ever tweeted. And Simon went, you have looked at your notifications, haven't you? And I said, what's notifications? I wasn't even aware they were there. Pushed the button and then, you know, opened a whole world of torrent of, you know, I mean, if you do football, you're 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 going to take heaps of stick because people are not going to like what you say about that you do you know you do the phone in you ask questions that kind of need to be asked people think you've got an agenda against their team you just got to let it all wash off you I'm 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 not one who I mean I I use social media as as a tool for work really so you know the BBC would be quite keen like today ahead of the phone in for me to promote that we're doing it and this is how you can listen to it and what questions would you like to ask and whatever I'm I'm not one who uses it mass massively on a, on a personal front if I'm watching a game of football at home I know people love the debate and give their opinions I I I actually just quite like watching the game and then and then maybe reading a bit of that afterwards but actually I, I use it more as a work tool and I think I think the I don't know lots of people say nice things on it about you lots of people say horrible things and I think you just you kind of got to ignore it all really I don't I don't think you can look at all the praise and think wow that's wonderful and then ignore the bad stuff I'm not saying you ignore the praise it's lovely when people say nice things about you but I think you've just got to you know take it with a big a big pinch of salt really yeah uh, I, f- I remember there was an interview that Mark Chapman did with the uh, Guardian a few months back where he said the amount of abuse that he sees Alan Shearer get in particular mm. is is incredible mm. and do you, it must be because the pundits are often footballers who have a more famous career. They're often the ones that bear the brunt of a lot of that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, again, going back to Chris, you know, Chris Sutton, um, he takes an incredible amount of stick on. And, and some of it he, I'm sure he would agree, kind of brings on himself because he's got strong opinions and he likes to stir up debates and he likes to have the row. His way of dealing with it as well is through humour. If someone comes and has a go, you know, he'll he will try and sort of have a go back but in a humorous fashion which i think is a brilliant way to deal with it um and yeah and there, and there are people who i think what whatever you say are just are just gonna have a pop at you you know and um i you are you either get off the platform if if you if you can't take that which you know which is a shame because i think there's a lot of positive that can come out of it or, or you just have to ignore mute block you know do whatever i mean the, these particularly the you know, Alan Shearer and Chris and people who played the game, you know, they've they've spent, I mean, it's not right, but spent their whole careers, haven't they, running around in stadiums with people hurling abuse at them. So I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure they can deal with it. But I, th- I think sometimes when it's not even reasoned or intelligent or someone's not even listened to what someone said or not or not given someone a chance to improve, you know, I mean, blimey, I mean, if, if I listened back to the first football commentary I ever did for BBC Bristol in whenever it was, it would be absolutely rubbish compared to what I do now. And, and 
someone and, and it's a very minor example no one would have listened to it but you know in in the, in someone like alan shearer's case they could be judging him on on something they heard 10 years ago not not what he's doing now it's just you know you just it's, it's, i think it's just annoying when people don't don't listen all, all they're doing is and actually all they want really is a rise they want a response don't they they just they just want to kind of make a name for themselves so did you get that before social media or do you think that and, and you feel like it kind of like transferred from there onto social media or do you feel like social media brought about yeah. that kind of thing? well certainly i mean i don't know i couldn't speak for the footballers certainly for for me i would have had other than being a great i mean it's very rare you'd get recognized as a radio commentator at a football ground and I don't think I've ever had someone come up to me and say you know you're a plonker you said this you said that I once had a letter addressed to me at BBC Bristol that was addressed to Alistair Bruce Bohr B-O-R-E <laughs> rather than Alistair Bruce Bohr which I think was deliberate uh, which amused me but um, but no no I've only ever seen that sort of stick I won't tell that to Chris because that is just <laughs> I think I've told him I think I've told him um, but no in, ter- in terms of getting proper stick I mean and the stuff I've had most stick for actually was rugby I did some TV rugby commentary and because I'm an unfamiliar voice to the rugby audience who would probably associate me with football I think I did a Wales game and people just just piled in I think I think mainly just because why why is he doing it what what does he know you know whatever without maybe they listened to it and didn't like it or maybe they just thought why is he doing it so um I think you notice as well if you do stuff on TV which I did that that rugby was on TV you know obviously the audience is massive and then kind of more comments good or bad can can come your way yeah I find that actually whenever um, you get the likes of Vicky Sparks or Robin Cowan commentate on on a match of the day, um, on a match on match of the day. I often go on Twitter just in the hope mm. that there is less um, sexism towards mm. that because that is something that I, that I see a lot of on mm. on social media. It's it's you know oh you're a woman you don't know anything about the game etc cetera, etc. Cetera. No matter what, that's always going to be there. And I and I often I often wonder as a as a, as a commentator, do you often? Um, I don't know if you speak to either either of them in particular yeah. or, or any other female commentators that of whether that that changes their opinion towards um, social media or whether that affects them in any particular don't, way. I don't know about that. I think what I would say is that um, it makes they they are doing the same job that I am doing and it makes that job harder for them, which is just unfair. And all you can do actually is ignore it and get your head down and do the job properly like they both do and brilliantly. And then, you know, people can say what they like and that's up to them. I mean, another another good example, like you actually, so I did, um, I did a commentary early this season with, with Karen Carney, former England international, who's about to do her third game for us coming up. Me and her are going to do uh, Manchester City Wolves uh, shortly on Five Live. And again... We did Villa Everton, and I've seen Karen's stuff before on on other shows, and I I think she is excellent. She knows her stuff, um, and she's bright and she's funny. You know, she's just she's a good summariser. And then after a game with a with a slightly heavy heavy heart, like you, I think, well, you're going to go and you're going to get these idiots are saying, "What is Karen Carney doing?" You know, and actually, I I didn't I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all. And what I did see was people saying, "Brilliant to have Karen Carney on, wasn't she good?" And she was. And that's what you want. You want you want her to be judged on her on her summary of a game how she read it what was the insight you know what was the relationship like with the commentator that's what she should be judged on which she was and she was she was excellent um just one more thing is there any part of your role as a commentator as a presenter as a reporter that you feel people don't know enough about uh i mean i don't know if it's if it's what the an kind aspect of, of the role of what we do you mean yeah or, i mean behind the scenes because a lot people of people wouldn't understand that you wish people knew about yeah. i guess that people people you wish they kind of understood that you do as extra because i mean there's so much that goes into it yeah. behind the scenes 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think occasionally when you, you know, you you make a mistake. Um, I mean, a lighthearted example would be, you know, me playing Sutton Death against Chris on 606 and forgetting Ipswich, my team as well. I mean, the amount of stick you take, which is, you know, that's fair enough. I, I don't mind that. But I think sometimes you think, you know, if you were sitting in in my position with that clock ticking, you know, on the radio, you might you might not find it as easy as you think it is. Um, we all we all make mistakes, don't we? I mean, we sit in that studio and we have a go at footballers for making mistakes and referees for making mistakes. We make mistakes all the time, all the time. And I, you know, you just you know hope that people would kind of occasionally be a bit more understanding about that. But I I I have I have no complaints about you know what I do and um, you know I love it and I it's a very cliche thing to say, but I just think I'm very lucky to do it. You know, just to 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 indulge in a passion which has always been sport and particularly football and to get to to work in it and meet the people I've met and and see the live sport I mean that you know some of the some of the events that I've been able to get to through the job are you know are amazing and um you know just just very lucky to do it nice you just try and get an excuse for six for um for sudden death in there at the end <laughs> four three by the way <laughs> yeah. i was four nil down it's back to four three so um we'll see we'll see just to remind anyone who's anyone who's listened to this this is i'm recording this a few hours before um the the 606 on saturday the 28th of, of, of september um so it could be it could yeah. be five three it could it be could four be. all yeah well exactly Do you know last week the week before the week before matt it was it was obviously four two and in my head as we went into that one i was thinking god four three is a heck of a lot better five two again it's out to three and it stretches four three is is but i mean at four nil down it's that horrible thing where the, I th- I, the, th- the the reason i think people like sudden death and it does get a lot of reaction is because you do sit in your car you sit at home and you play it don't you and i think you know some categories will pick and the listeners will be at home thinking oh how did they not get that get that get that i think sometimes we probably surprise them and do quite well um but equally you do want it to be a contest and if chris had gone seven nil up there's no real you know it, it does need it to to be a little bit closer so I kind of felt my reputation was on the line a bit at the start of the season and it's also you guys sitting the other side of the glass when I make an error and they're like you're all head in hands going what's he doing so um, yes yeah, it's, it's nice to be back in back in the game yeah no worries you, well if, if you do mess up again it could be Conor McNamara and Chris Sir. Yeah. well I'll tell you what actually funny enough tonight's show John Murray who is a very good um so i've played this game with him socially as it were and events and stuff and john is john is good he's, he's got a sharp mind he is sitting at goodison park doing updates on everton manchester city so if i feel i'm struggling i wonder whether i might be able to just encourage him to because uh, he's always telling me i should do better so maybe we should put him on the spot and see if he can we do should try and get more people involved yeah. um thanks so much for joining me ali and uh, just a reminder for for anyone listening uh, 606 you can listen to every, every saturday between um six, six minutes after six and, and eight o'clock Thanks for listening to the Football Media Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at Footy Media Pod. We'll be back next week with another interesting guest from the football media. But until then, have a good week. Goodbye. Goodbye.